do you do when somebody unexpected shows up at your house? There's, there's, there's going to be people that are coming to your house all over the Christmas holidays, and there are some people here that you have family that you love, <laughs> but you would rather that they didn't show up at your house for Christmas, right? There, now, now, love is the operative word there. See, marriage conferences tell us that love is a choice. It's not necessarily a feeling. DC Talk, for those of you who were Christ followers back in the 90s, they told us that love is a... Come on, I heard some people. You know, what's a... It's a verb. There you go. There's a few people. That was uh, Christian pop culture back in the 90s, that love is a verb. There's a book lately that says love does. We know that it's not necessarily a feeling. And we love them, but they change the feeling of a certain event. And if you're scratching your head trying to figure out who those family members are that would come to your house, that would be that kind of guest, you may be that family member. No, just, just kidding. We all have... It's Christmas, we've got lit trees, we've got candles, we're singing carols, and we're in the midst of a series called The Journey, and this morning we're going to look at the story of Rahab the prostitute. You've, now you're thinking, what on earth are we doing that two weeks before Christmas for? It's not just because we've been going all weekend and we decided to pull a message out of the closet from three years ago and we figured that you wouldn't notice. This is actually an intentional message this morning, Rahab the Christmas prostitute. That's, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> she has a part to play in the narrative of Jesus in the Christmas season. And we'll get to that part at the end this morning, but I want to take you back to a time when Israel was homeless. They're about to storm Jericho, and Jericho, it borders on Jordan and Israel, modern-day times. And they've been desert nomads for 40 years, and they went to go see what kind of battle was before them to take this city of Jericho. So they they got to Jericho, and inside the walls of Jericho, there are houses and hotels that are built right into these thick walls. And they needed a place to stay overnight where they wouldn't be discovered and they wouldn't be turned in to the authorities. And this is where we get Rahab the Christmas prostitute. There's there's two spies that, that she hides there as they're surveying Israel's plan of attack. Now, word gets out throughout Jericho that there, that there were Jews who were close and they were, might gonna, they, they were probably looking to attack the city and maybe they were in the city right at that time. So authorities were going around searching places where they might be staying and they come to Rahab and she lies for them and says, no, they're not, says they were here, but they're already gone even though she's hiding them. And then she helps the Israeli spies escape. Talk about typecast. This is Rahab. She's a prostitute. Now she's a liar. And she begs these men before they leave that when, catch this, it's not if, but when God hands her city of Jericho with thick fortified walls, when, she, when God hands that city over to the Jews, she says, will you remember me? Will you protect me? And if you know the story that's in the Bible, for seven days, the Jewish army marches around the walls, and it's about a half a mile long. So they do that six days in a row. On the seventh day, they do that three times. So they go three and a half miles around, and the walls just crumbled, just broke down, and everything comes smashing down, and they're able to raid this city. And we get to our key text this morning in Joshua 6, verse 25. And if you need a Bible this morning just to borrow, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand. And we've got uh, Yohanan, and I haven't seen Art this morning, so Manir, just if you want to give Yohanan a hand. If you need a Bible to borrow this morning, you can uh, borrow a Bible, and those guys will make sure that you get one. 
But here's our key text, and it'll be on the side screen in Joshua 6, 25. And it said, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, I was doing some research when I was getting ready for this morning's service. And when the archaeologists were excavating the ruins of Jericho, they found a portion of the wall that supposedly had crumbled to pieces. They found a large portion of the wall intact. Because if we read the story, we think, well, if she was living in the wall and the wall just came smashing down, what would have happened to her? What would happen to her family? But what they found was that the north side of the wall, which was just a short distance from the wilderness where the Jews would have been hiding and they would have been camped there, it remained intact. And more than likely, Rahab would have lived in that location because if the Jews had come, if those two spies had come out of the hiding and just looked for the closest spot where they could have entered the city, that's more than likely where they would have been, which is where the wall stayed intact. I love when history discovers something that the Bible's been telling us for thousands of years. But anyway, this is, this is the story of Rahab. Questionable morals, betrayed her government, lied about where these Jewish spies were. And later on, I don't know if you know this, but she becomes a hero later on in the Bible. We get to the book of Hebrews, which is written thousands of years later, and it's called, it's called um, in the church, we call it the Hall of Faith. And they talk about all these people that had amazing amounts of faith, and they did great feats. She's mentioned in there in Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She's mentioned to the Jews that she was one of these historic faith-filled ladies. And then in James 2.25, it says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. What's funny to me is the qualifications that we put on people, that, that we put on to people, we think God can use. We think God can use this kind of person and wants to be with this kind of person and doesn't want to use this person and doesn't want to be with this kind of person. We say if they live a perfect life, their family's well put together, they don't have a shady past and ghost in the closet. We're good with these people and God's good with these people. But if there's something about their story and, and who they are, we're not so good with them and God probably wouldn't want them either. Well, there's a couple things that Rahab's story teaches us that we want to look at as we go through the journey this morning. And the first is this, that my personal story is not hidden from God. We're introduced to Rahab first in Joshua 2. And they say you get one chance to make a first impression, right? If you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Or if you can go there on your, on your smartphone or on your device. And you can follow along if you go to uh, the U version and you just look for Milton or you look for Portico, then you can follow along there. But I want you to go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to see how Rahab is introduced to the world and to the church. And if you get there you'll notice that even before her name is mentioned, what do we read? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. This is, this is how she's introduced to us all. How would you like your sin to precede you before someone was introduced to you? you know, listen, I want you to meet you to my buddy, the thief. His name's Andrew. <laughs> There's enough Andrews in here that it's inconspicuous, okay? I, I can see three right here. 
Just, I keep my distance from all of them. Just, uh, Damien, you want to slide this way a little bit, okay? I've got a wonderful liar I'd like you to meet. Her name's Heather. Uh-oh. That, one, that one's a little less English. I don't know how many, how many others we have. <laughs> How's that for a first impression, right? You don't stand a chance. If somebody says, this is this kind of person, and then mentions your name, you're done. That's, who, that's how people are going to remember you. Guys, this is Rahab. It's a prostitute. Her name's Rahab. There's no prospect for life change from this point forward in the, a church culture, in the Jewish culture. This is how history is going to remember her. God knows her story. You know her story. God knows my story too. And God knows your story. He knows us by name, but he knows the junk that we have in our lives. Look at what David wrote about in the Psalms concerning this. Well, first let's go to Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees it all. David wrote about it. From the heavens, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all and who considers everything they do. We try to put on good friends with people all the time, right? We're experts at justifying the junk that we have in our lives, or as the word would call it, the Bible would call it, it's really sin. We tell ourselves, it's okay that I'm judgmental and I don't forgive <laughs> because they haven't come groveling back to me, so it's okay that I'm that, I'm that way. It's just, it's just part of who I am. Remember we studied that in Joseph a little, a little while ago, that we're called to forgive regardless, but we justify that and we say, I'm, I'm a good person, I just have that little bit of my life. We pretend that we don't have addictions, we pretend we don't have deceit and impropriety and all other kinds of things that we don't want people to know about but God does. God sees us just as we are. He knows our story. And some of us may have come to church this morning and you weren't introduced as a liar and a thief or whatever, but inside you may even feel this way. And when you examine your life, there's this sense that God looks at you as broken or God looks at you as sinful. God looks at you as falling short. David wrote about this too, Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. So where does that leave us with God? If he knows really what's at the root of our hearts and our souls. I love that Rahab, in the middle of all of this, she's aware of what God is doing. She was convinced that her powerful, fortified city was going to fall to the nomadic army of Israel. Why? <laughs> why, would, why would somebody living this lifestyle, not even a Jew, has no concept of who the Jewish God is? Why would she be so convinced that God was going to give that city over to Israel? Here's what I believe. Because God's not in the habit of looking for perfect people to speak to. God builds relationship with us in the midst of our sin. When we're broken, he speaks to people. He was speaking to Rahab that, I'm coming, my army's coming. She didn't do this on her own whim. In fact, before we even consider the fact of getting to know God, he's already taken steps to come alongside of us. That's what the Christmas story is all about. Before we even know we needed Jesus, he came. (laughs) 
There's a, there's a story of a woman in John chapter 4, and she'd been divorced five times, and now she was living with another guy, probably not wanting to get married again, because 0 for 4, she didn't want to make it 0 for 5. And she encounters Jesus living a life that would never measure up to our standards as being close to God. And she's the one that draws everybody out to the well to see Jesus. This lady, who had no concept of who God is, she's the one that got close to God and understand understood who Jesus was. Here's the next lesson that I see in Rahab's story. God knows everything about us. He knows my story. Yet my personal story doesn't disqualify me from being accepted by God. And really, it's not just accepted. It's used as well. God uses all of us and accepts all of us regardless of our story. As humans, we like to hold people accountable for their mistakes. We talked about this in the story of Jonah a couple weeks ago, how we start to feel that mistakes can disqualify us from opportunity in our future. And Jonah didn't want to go to this big city in Iraq, which is called Nineveh. He didn't want to go there because he's like, those people don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve another chance. And God says, hold up. Your mistakes, your story doesn't disqualify you from getting close and accepted by God. That's not the way he works. Our world chooses to remember the wrongs that we've done. We make this little tally chart in our head of who screwed up and how they screwed up and whether we'll forgive them or not. And we have a God that just chooses to forget and chooses to accept us. In fact, as I was studying this week, you know what I was really put upon my heart is that it's the least religious of us that might be best situated to get close to God. Just because we didn't grow up in church doesn't mean we're any less of a Christian or any less of one of God's kids. Nothing makes us more or less qualified to get close to God. Whether prostitute or prophet, God knows your story and he wants to come close to you. As a human race, we better watch the way that then we talk about people and the way that we function because we label people all the time. If you've been watching the news, you know this is going on in the U.S. with the Michael Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri. This has been going on since August. And there's, there's this understanding that, well, we label a certain group of people a certain way and we expect certain things from them. And it's been horrible watching the fallout of all this and how, how there's been all this, all this violence. Even in Canada, though we don't deal with that on the same level maybe as in, as in the States, we're not guilt-free though. Let me ask you this. When it snowed on Thursday... Okay, so who took more than an hour and a half to get to work on Thursday morning? Yeah, but yeah, right. Manir's tall hand up there, right? How long, Manir? Hour 45. Three hours. We have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. Stuart. Bad, too bad for Stuart. So it was snowing. You're driving, and there's... You can see clear road in front of you. You know you can make it. And somebody's driving 10 kilometers an hour in front of you, making you later and later and later for work. When you finally get the chance to slip out and pass them, did you sneak a peek at the gender of the driver? I'm just going to ask you. (laughs) Better yet, did you have a picture of the person that you expected to see in that car? Did you, have, did you have a certain picture of, you know, this ethnicity of people drive this way, and this gender, men and women drive this way? We have a picture of how we expect people on the road to be driving, don't we? And if, they, if it matches, if by some chance it matches the picture that we had in our head, we give this look of disgust. I knew it! <laughs> and you're, right? You're mad. We judge. We do it all the time. 
At the staff Christmas party, when one of your coworkers shows up and they're dressed a little differently, a little inappropriately than you would have thought, what thoughts go through your head? Not those thoughts, but I'm asking, what thoughts go through your head on character judgment? We make character judgment based on wardrobe. People drop comments all the time on people's attitudes and habits, and our shortcomings seem to precede us, and they seem to define us. No wonder we're all so self-conscious, right? Do you know what the Bible says about the words that we use, the way that we judge people? Proverbs 15, 4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Oh, man. We better watch the way that we judge people, the way that we speak of people. Proverbs 18 and 21 says that the very power of life and death are present in the words that we use. And in our key text, we mentioned that Rahab was still living among the Jews to this day. How many times do you think she had to face the words of people who pointed her out and said, there's that hooker that put up the spies when God's people came to get the land? How many times do you think people would have said that? That's how they knew her. Do you think they just said, oh, it's wonderful that you're with us, foreign lady who was introduced as the prostitute? I don't think so. We know, human, we know human nature, we know human culture. We have difficulty allowing a person to go from this type to just child of God. But that's the God who loves us and accepts us. That's the kind of God that says, I want to get close to you. We got to watch our words of life and words of death. The things that I choose to say today might affect the way somebody else feels about how appropriate they are or their ability to come to God. That's power that we have in our words and our judgments. And it's totally wrong. It's a power we shouldn't have because we serve a God that chooses to forget everything we've done and says, just come close to me. I sent my son Jesus and I don't care anything that you've done. We're all on the equal playing field. We're born sinful and God says, just come. Just come be close with me. There's another story. Jesus, in the, in, the, in the context of the Bible, there's a lot of times where when Jesus chooses specifically to show this in extreme ways. So he goes to another prostitute thousands of years later and she's lying at his feet and she's crying in shame and her tears are washing his feet and she's using her hair to wipe his feet clean with her tears. Maybe she realized that feet smell and there's that body parts are not the best tools for washing the feet. So, so then she breaks a jar of perfume. And look what people said about her. It's in Luke 7. It's in, actually listed in, in all four of the Gospels. But Luke 7, 39 said, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Listen, genius prophecy, uh, Pharisee, this is the man who knew the lady who had five husbands. This is the man who raised people from the dead. The guy, in fact, Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, was sitting at that party. Jesus knew who was there. He's fully aware that Mary, of Mary's lifestyle, but he had just chosen to forgive, to overlook her story and receive her act of worship. If you're here in church this morning wondering if God is okay with you, can you be a part of this? The answer is absolutely, of course. We are all equal when it comes to worshiping Jesus. There's no prerequisite. We have it totally backwards. We feel that you've got to be a certain kind of person to come to God, and he calls us to come before we even realize we need to change. 
The Apostle Paul, who is one of the most devout Pharisees and Jews that we've ever read about, in, especially in his day, he realized that his good works were not enough. It took him realizing that he was just as sinful before he met Jesus. It's in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So here's the walk away for today. My personal story is still being written. Rahab is completely unexpected in the Christmas narrative that we're telling. I want to show you how she got here. I don't know if you know this. In Matthew 1.5, we're looking at the genealogy leading up to Jesus. The history, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, the great-great-grandparents. Here's what we read. Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, who was the mother, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And we know that Jesus tracks back to King David, whose great-great-grandmother was Rahab. Jesus' very own family heritage tracks back to a lady who lived a complete lifestyle opposed to what God would have considered proper. She wasn't even a Jew. Have you ever felt that you have something more to offer, but maybe you missed the boat? Have you ever felt that, you know, that that God's got something big for you? Your life has something more to give, but you've just kind of been overlooked? The message of Rahab is that your story isn't finished being written yet. I remember when I was growing up, I was grade three, four, five. I could barely get a word out of my mouth. I, I would open my mouth and I would just kind of go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, and people laughed at me just like that, Karina. She's sitting here laughing at me right now. I had to go to speech therapy for years. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm over it now. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but I, I remember that I would, I would stutter and I still, I think I've mentioned this before, I'll still stop halfway through a sentence sometimes because I have this little stutter problem. And then I remember when God called me when I was a teenager and God said specifically, I'm going to ask you to speak for me. And I said, God, I have trouble speaking for me. <laughs> I don't think I have the ability to speak for you. And God said, your story's not been finished, written yet. And in the moment of your failing, in the moment of your shortcoming, God turns the page and says, I'm writing a second act. Here's what it says in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask Heather to come back. And I don't know if the team's coming, but whomever. And Jeremiah 29.11 says this. That the Lord has plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. And this morning, here's our prayer as we were coming to the service, is that each of us would look at our lives and we wouldn't, we wouldn't um, evaluate whether God wants to use us based on how good we've been. We wouldn't say, I'm going to come and worship God today because I've done a few good things this week, because I gave to the One Hope offering, because I cut back on some of the vulgar language I was using, because, I, because I'd be, we wouldn't do that. We would just say, God, this is me. You know my story. And I hear this morning that my story doesn't disqualify me from being close. So God, would you use me to do something powerful, to do something big? We believe 
we read that scripture that God has plans to prosper us, to give you a future and a hope. That's the message this morning, is that each of us has a hope that God's got something big in store for us. And we're getting to the end of the year, and we're going to be starting to make plans and, and um, resolutions for the new year. As Heather leads us in this song, I'm just going to ask that you reflect, that you pray, that you just take some time to think, God, what might you be calling me to? And for those of you who have been disqualifying yourselves from God's kingdom, you need to know he loves you. He's calling you. He sent us on Jesus before you even knew you needed him. So this morning, would you just respond to the quiet voice of the Spirit saying, I love you. Come close to me. I've got plans and a hope for you. Spirit. 